Hey guys, welcome back to Screenworthy, brought to you by The Mind Refinery. I'm your host, Kyle Bodanis. This week we have a little rhythm section and Screenworthy collaboration. We're super excited about this one. We're talking to one of the best music video directors of the past 15 years, Shomi Padwari. We're going to talk about his early days of filmmaking, working with artists like Pusha T, ASAP Rocky, Nas, and Beyonce. And we're going to do a little nerd out on music too. Hope you guys enjoy it. If you like it here, rate and subscribe to the Mind Refinery channel. And if you have time, follow us on social media. And now, here's the show. All right, guys, joining us as usual is the co-host with the most, Coburn Blair. Coburn, how's it going? Good. How about you? Pretty good, because today uh, we have a special guest. He's actually uh, one of the most talented directors working in the game today. He's worked with artists like ASAP Rocky and the rest of the ASAP Mob, The Weeknd, Pusha T, Tylee Dolla Sign, Mark Ronson, Offset and 21 Savage, and the incomparable Metro Boomin. I could do this for hours. Uh, this guy was even a cinematographer on a Beyonce video. Uh, he's also worked with brands like the New York Knicks and Mountain Dew. Uh, so let's all please show some respect on the name of Shomi Patwari. Shomi, thanks so much for being here. You guys are too kind. What's up, y'all? Um, so how's everything going? How's everything in your neck of the woods? Super busy. We're on pre-production for uh, nine potential videos. What has the COVID situation, like, how has it affected just, you know, your process, your flow? Like, like has it put a ton of work on the back burner? What's the situation? You know, it's crazy. Like, everything shut down in March of last year, right? Uh, close to almost a year ago now that I'm looking back at it. So everything shut down March. Um, the timing was nuts because um, in 2018 and 2019, our company was like really focused on commercials. So we took a break from music videos. We made a lot of money, but uh, it was a lot of work. So my wife and I decided to take off three months at towards the end of 2019 Actually, I think we weren't going to go back into work like March of 2020, right? Mm -hmm. So we took like a three-month break. We're like, all right, cool. We needed this break to rejuvenate, you know, get our batteries charging again. We took a vacation, went to Thailand, went to my homeland of Bangladesh, and, you know, uh, spent time in Virginia, like, did a lot of uh, thinking, you know, we needed that break. Little did I know that we'd be coming back to another break, unneeded break, which was uh, the COVID situation. Like we were hearing about it a little bit while we were in Thailand, like not aware that it's about to be pure uh, pandemic levels, you know? So um, that was a huge shock because in March we had done two jobs and for April we were about to, do about four to five projects in the month of April, um, mainly for uh, Pharrell's festival, something in the water that he does in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So my brothers at Showtime Television with Jesus and Miro, you know, they have a night, uh, like a nightly show. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, a talk show. It's really dope. And so we were going to do a Virginia Beach episode, but it was covering the festival that Pharrell does now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a sick idea. Yeah, yeah. So he did one the year before last year, which was incredible. Jay-Z came out, Snoop, Missy Elliott, Tim, like an all-star lineup of surprises. Insane. Travis Scott, 
Ferg, everybody was out there. So like Virginia Beach was going crazy and really looking forward to um, 2019's, uh, no, 2020's festival. 2020 was going to be insane, you know, ASAP Rocky, Tyler, the creator. So we were going to do a whole entire Virginia Beach episode. We were going to do like a bunch of fun projects where we were going to do like a funny celebrity mini golf tournament, like really fun stuff. Was was Teddy Riley going to be involved? I'm sure he was. Yeah, yeah. Because he was he, he was involved the year before too. Like he came out. Um, so it was going to be insane, man. And then all that like got shut down. Like instantly saw myself losing $100,000 in profit um, that month. And uh, more than the money, I was like, what the hell is going on? And how are we going to move forward? Super like super dark times because we didn't know what to do after that and we had just already taken a three-month break right so but little did I realize like maybe I needed it some more you know like I really needed to like think about where our direction of the company was going and uh one thing we always wanted to do is go I mean we were making moves towards going in tv by working with Dizan Miro already and we had done like a smaller project with Dizan Miro via zoom because zoom started blowing up around that time so we shot one of their musical guests via Zoom. Was that the, the RMR? Yeah, Rumor. RMR, Rumor. Some people call them Rumor. But uh, yeah, we did the RMR thing. That was cool. Uh, but man, our goals were to do so much more with them that year. So things got interesting. I said, look, let me use this time to like hit up my friend who was always into like films like me. So we started writing. So we wrote our first full-length feature movie script we finished it by july um and it's funny like a week before the shutdown we had done two music videos one was for uh, uh this artist comethazine so we had just done his music video right before the week of the shutdown it was interesting man like had me thinking like maybe i do want to go into movies when we went through that shutdown we wrote the movie script i had announced it that i did it with my best friend and then boom ASAP Ferg's manager, who also manages little TJ, saw that. And he's like, yo, we want to shoot a movie for TJ. I was like, wow, it's kind of crazy. Like, when you start putting things in the air, it comes back. You know, when you announce that you want to make a movie, then you kind of get that opportunity to make a movie, which is insane. So we shot a short film for little TJ, uh, which I think should be out by March, this March. Going towards the feature film route, but also kind of going back into my roots of doing music videos again because it really keeps you relevant and now we're working with these younger artists you know cowboy this other uh, artist coming out of virginia beach young raj we just did one with boogie who's eminem's artist so you know we want to do films we want to do tv we want to do a lot so you know just um seeing how things you know go this year but um it's exciting because we've built like nine gigs already so so film like I mean, I watched I watched this really, really awesome feature, and it was talking about you and your family, and you know when they came to New York from Bangladesh. Oh yeah, you know, the PBS thing. Yeah, it's really great. And uh, you know, you mentioned that your parents, you know, how hard they worked, and that they were like superheroes to you, so you could like zone in on your dream. Um, so how did does that journey like was was film always the end goal? Like, how did this whole thing and you know in the video and film space manifest itself for you? Okay, so like, as a kid in the 90s, I used to fantasize about making movies, but it was a fantasy. Didn't even think that's what I was doing. 
it's like fantasizing, oh, I want a Lamborghini one day or something as a kid. Yeah. You know, it was purely a fantasy. Didn't think I was going to be in this realm. Growing up in the 90s, it was a fantasy that one day I would meet the Wu-Tang Clan. Didn't think I was going to do a documentary with them. You know, like all that stuff, man, as a kid in Virginia Beach, you think you're just going to go get a regular job. You know, most most kids in Virginia Beach, they either become IT dudes or they get a job for the government, you know, or even join the army. Like we have a huge Navy base. That's why it's so diverse. Never did I think I'd have these opportunities, you know, and I don't think those opportunities would have been open if it wasn't for Pharrell and Chad Hugo of the Neptunes. So can you tell us about Pusha T buying you your first camera? Yeah, man. Like, you know, I met Pusha T through um, my days in Star Trek. Started out working with Fam Lay, who was sound to Star Trek. And then Pusha gave me my first shot when he told me to do the mixtape cover for their first mixtape called We Got It For Cheap. So I designed that. And I'd always be around them filming behind the scenes, just like I got archives of footage, man. I got tapes, like going back to 2003. And so I was always around them filming BTS. They would always be curious about that stuff. And so one time they were with Kanye West for a video shoot and I was filming BTS for them, you know, shot some stuff with them and Kanye. And I put this BTS out and they're like, yo, this BTS is actually dope. Uh, some people liked it better than the actual music video. So they're like, yo, show me, you got to do a music video for us. Cause I see you can do the BTS stuff and it looks pretty dope. And that really got me taking the music video stuff seriously because keep in mind i was doing graphic design and web design with my best friend and business partners philip lee and uh, curtis bowens at the time and our company after uh the recession kind of went into hiatus and so i took a nine to five right before i got into music videos but the music video things didn't click immediately like it didn't take off immediately like yeah i did a video for the clips when Pusha T bought me a camera in exchange to do a video. But that camera took me places, man. Like I told him, oh, yo, there's this new camera out. It's the 7D. You can put lenses on it. It's like a regular DSLR, but you can shoot film. Changed the game because like everything else back then that was digital, like didn't have any depth because you couldn't really switch lenses like that. So when that camera came around, man, like it, added so much production value to our shoots but yeah it was just like you know an exchange you buy us the camera and a few lights and we'll shoot your first video so we shot it was funny by the time the, the camera actually came too late so we had to actually use one of my homies cameras a panasonic dvx and we like put this indie rig on it that let us put a lens on it so it didn't come out that crispy but it was called doorman but then by the time the camera came, uh, the 7D, we shot Freedom. And so when we got that camera, we shot this video for their second single called Freedom. No, third single, sorry, because I shot the second single. And then the third single is Freedom. And uh, when we shot the Freedom video, my boy Kenna, who was also signed to Star Trek, saw it. And he's like, yo, how the hell did you do this video? It looks so crispy. Like, I'm not used to seeing low-budget videos look like this. Me and Lupe got a record with Mike Shinoda to raise money for Haiti. This is when Haiti had that earthquake. And so we did a video as charity work. So we didn't charge for that video, but it was a passion project to do something, you know, to create awareness, to raise money for uh, Haiti. 
So we did this video was all like photos mainly and some like home video style footage. When we did that, Lupe really loved that video. And we had the 7D. And so like Lupe was going through a lot with his label. So he just funded the unbeaming video. So like it just kept bringing attention to people because of that camera. Like this is early on, man. Like it went from Lupe to David Banner to Ashton Roth to this and that. Years went by and I still had that 7D laying around. I was working a nine to five at Hampton University as like a media supervisor. When I got my nine to five, I got married to my wife. We settled down and, but life got man mundane a little bit. And, you know, we were, we were kind of trying to get out of Virginia at that point. And then my homie who started uh, Karma Loop TV was also from Virginia. And he remembered me from back in the days when he was DJing. I linked him up with the acapella from Family. So he always remembered that favor. And he hit me up on Twitter one day, followed me, and was like, yo, I love this little Family video you just did um, on the 7D. And uh, he was like, you should join us. I was like, word? Because Karma Loop at the time, if you don't remember, there were this gigantic streetwear e-commerce e website, you know? They had the biggest like streetwear merchandising websites. They sold everything and they were the biggest. So when they launched their TV side, they wanted to bring me in to like shoot all the videos guerrilla style like I always did. And so that was, that's what that, that's where that camera took me, man. The, the, the 7D and like the 5D and those like that, those like uh, DSLR cameras, like I just wish you could, there was a way to properly articulate like how much they affected shooters oh, back in the, the day. Yeah, just the ability, especially because like you were saying about like changing lenses and stuff like that. And then especially with like on other digital cameras, primitive lens adapters and that stuff. camera changed the yeah. recording industry because what Absolutely. it did it, artists that were unsigned were able to get videos that look like the level of videos with signed artists, right? You could start finding tutorials on YouTube to like how to use those cameras, how to do VFX on your own. Started changing the game. Like guys like us were coming in right after Rick Cordero. For those who don't know Rick Cordero, like he was kind of a pioneer in the whole DIY guerrilla style filmmaking movement. Like he was one of the first to like really shoot videos on his own. And those videos would get, you know, the attention of Nas, Jay-Z, you know, so he was an inspiration to see him do what he did. That was inspiring. But then the 7D changed the game up. Like it made it so easy to do run and gun videos with no budgets. You just point and shoot, you know? Like I know, I know with ours, ours like got beaten into the ground. Like only now, like now, I mean, like now we got, yeah, now we got like, you know, the C300 and stuff like that because we use it for documentaries. Great low light cameras, even the yeah. 7D, even, even those were good low light cameras now looking back at it. Like I remember. I took the 7D camera. I was a cinematographer on this video my boy uh, Julian from Karma Loop directed uh, called um, Express Yourself for Diplo featuring Nikki the Bee. Mm -hmm. um, we shot that on the 7D and I swear I lit that video with the iPhone. Uh, I used my iPhone. That's incredible. You know, we shot that video and it got the attention of Beyonce. That's how we got the gig to do cinematography for Beyonce. And funny thing is, when I did the cinematography and my boy directed that video for Beyonce, Beyonce didn't want us to use any other cameras. Uh, so we used a 5D when we did Beyonce's video. Like That's she purposely awesome. wanted to keep that look. Like she liked that run and gun style when we did that video. And so we shot No Angel, 
You know what I'm saying? I can't go into too many details about that video because all the 90 pages yeah, signed. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't give away too much, but yeah, it was interesting. So people breaking out of the industry, if you're listening, uh, don't uh, turn your nose at, uh, you know, the do-it-yourself stuff because, like, you know, everyone's talking. Yeah, because everyone's talking to Lexus and stuff now. Obviously, these are fantastic uh, cameras. But, yeah, but um, those those things, when you get your start, you know what I mean? They're really good. What was your creative process like? You know what I mean? Like, when you, you, you get the video, like, like how do, how do you start breaking it down? How do you start preparing uh for See, when for i first started we didn't even ask what a budget was we didn't even know what a budget was you know what i'm saying like i'm not gonna lie like i'm so i was so green when i started that i had an eye i knew what i liked but we didn't know how to achieve that look so it was trial and error so like before the dslrs came up i was like oh man how do i get the depth of a you know these videos that were shot on film and i met this director kevin maestro's he shot a video for my friend's band and he introduced us to this process of, you know, like putting these adapters on there where you flip the camera upside down and then you could put a Canon lens in there or, or a Nikon lens in there. It was so interesting back then, man, the things we had to do to get that look, but they weren't that sharp, you know? So like earlier days, we, we did it how we could, but the process in the beginning, hard to say because, we didn't have a budget. So like, you know, what's funny. I, I used to like not give myself any creative limits when I didn't know about budgets. And so we were so ambitious with our ideas because we're like, Oh, well, you know, it's funny now that we have budgets. We're now like, Oh, we can't do this. We got to do it this way, that way. Like we're much more limited because when you have a crew, you're bringing the whole entire crew into that journey. So not everybody's going to be hopping fences with you. <laughs> yeah, you're not doing stupid shit anymore. I, it, the, the, the fun stuff. You're more limited when you have a budget because you don't have much to lose. You get kicked out of some place, cool. You shoot somewhere else. But when you start having budgets, you know, you're, you're, you're not eating pizzas on set like you did back then, you know? <laughs> like, you got to think about meal breaks, all this stuff, like union rules, all these things, which is great, obviously, because you can't work like that all your life, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it's needed, but, like, you know, there are no rules when you first start out. You just shoot as you go. It's different, man. The process is completely different than it is now. Uh, but back then, man, you don't locate, you, we didn't location scout. We just, like, yeah, go drive around, find a spot, shoot till it's, you use as much natural light as possible. You know, you you know the basic principles of making sure the sun is behind you and all that to get some cool flares and shoot during the golden hour because you didn't have any lighting and you know like basic basic principles you use that as much as possible but there were no rules yeah now we're now, now we're not even going in without a tech scout like we're doing like yeah yeah you know things change man you're like thinking about things you never think about which is needed as you grow and mature you're like oh man you start being more conscious of our safety and uh, budgeting your time and making a proper shot list. You know, in the beginning, I used to have shot lists, but then they got thrown out because like, oh, this is not possible. That's not possible. It's so different, man. It's so different. It's so funny. But, you know, the naive days of filmmaking were fun, man. Days of dreaming, you know. So what was, what was it like on set for the Nicholas F video for NERP? Like, and, Dude, uh... I can't believe you guys know about that. That was my first music video ever. I probably watched that video probably like a hundred times when it came out. Um, are, are those 
Yo, you knew about that video when it came out? I was I was on it early when it came out because I was uh I was You understand I wasn't even a director when that came out. I just did that because my boy needed more video. This is before we met Drake. Oh really? Yeah, Nick started working with Drake right after that. Oh, I did. I, I I knew about it like around the same time. I didn't realize it was it was before he he met Drake. Are those are those two four point sixes the Range Rovers? Oh my God, dude! So one of the Range Rovers was our boy Rob. He owned one, and the other one was Nick's manager. He had a Range Rover. Yeah, man, those Rangers are, Rovers are back in style now. Oh, they're they're sick. They're they're great. Like the dude. We had a budget of a thousand dollars, maybe, and uh, I think two hundred of that went into animation, and then cassette tapes, hard drives, renting a GL two, and like a Panasonic something, not even a DVX, like it was a cheaper version of the Panasonic. Oh man, my friend used to work at a grocery store, so like he was a manager. He let us sneak in and shoot that scene. Oh, in the in the aisle? Yeah, dude. We oh, just really? and shot that scene but my friend was the manager so it was cool you know like dude that was like oh my was god you're taking me back and a lot of people don't realize one of the kids in that video was this kid b major who became a gigantic artist later on signed to, um you'll see b major all throughout that video but b major later later signed with justin bieber and wrote for justin bieber crazy i i didn't know that and i was just dabbling in after effects i saw the through the wire video for kanye so that's what inspired that polaroid scene yeah, it reminds me of like Cootie, Cootie and Chike. Like at yeah, the end they were big yeah. inspirations, man. So like when I and Cootie and Chike used to do a lot of like run and gun. So Cootie and Chike was a huge inspiration. And I remember talking to Cootie and Chike's manager, who actually managed Kanye, John Monopoly. He happened to manage my homie Nick Nick Rusher at the time. It all connects. It's crazy. I meant so all of us met on the Star Trek forum. You know, Pharrell had a Star Trek forum. Uh, for all those kids that loved NERD. We used to go on there. That's how we met Drake. Tyler was on there heavy too. Tyler was on there as Ace the Creator. Dude, B Major was on there. Santi Gold was on there, I think. No, 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 no. Diplo, Diplo was on there. That's how I met Diplo. Um, this kid, DJ Benzie, introduced us to Diplo. He was on that forum. Dude, so much talent was on that forum. People don't realize they're all relevant artists to this day. Can you tell us a little bit about how uh, Russell Peters introduced you to Drake? So it wasn't that Russell Peters introduced me to Drake. Being a kid of South Asian descent, we idolized Russell Peters as a kid, like as a brown dude, like seeing another brown comedian like that. We could relate to it so much. But, you know, he's also Canadian. So I like embedded his video on my MySpace page. This is MySpace era. And Drake had seen it. And the funniest thing was Drake left a freestyle bragging about me being some internet genius um it was hilarious man that's how we really connected and then he dm'd me i guess he could still dm back then because he had private messages that he dm'd me on myspace like yo i don't have a manager right now we should talk really funny stuff so myspace was obviously like a huge tool for you that's like one of the ways that you oh, kind of dude, got like, into that's like how i connected with so many people like from two when did myspace come out like 2004 Something like that, yeah. So, like, from 2004 all the way till 2008, we were, that was our social media, you know? That's how I connected with Mad Artists. Like, we were kids out of Virginia Beach that had the opportunity to run the MySpaces for NERD, Pharrell, Clips, you know, everybody, like, on Star Trek, which led to us doing MySpaces for, like, all these other huge producers, you know? 
uh, J.R. Rodham, Nate Dangerhands, like all these crazy producers and artists, Sean Kingston, and Sean Paul, like all these crazy MySpaces. So like people got to see what our web, you know, website was all about because we put a MySpace, you know, we put a tag on our every MySpace we did. So people would go back to our website and see our portfolio. That was our hustle, man. Like we got paid to do MySpaces and then it would bring us even more work. That's just how we did it. Can you tell us about how your MySpace playlist influenced So Far Gone? Yeah. Okay. So this is not a hundred percent, but this is my theory. Like I swear my exact my place, MySpace playlist, three of those records or four of those records are records that he raps over. It's crazy. That's, my theory is because we're friends and you'd always check out my MySpace. It's kind of ironic that the exact same songs with Santi Gold and um, uh, Lake Lee, all these records that was on my MySpace playlist happen to be on So Far Gone. Maybe it's a coincidence, but my theory is that might have played a role. That's 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 such an amazing story and such like so unique and like obviously like you've been around so many you know people and had so many moments and like created so much um speak well we're on topic drake i want to know did the do what you do remix video did you ever film that no no no. there was no video for that um, Oh, okay i think at one point he said the video was coming out and i was wondering yeah, if i he, think if he it, was trying to make it happen uh, he never contacted us about it but i think he was trying to do it but it never happened we could have made it happen if he reached out to us but i don't remember him reaching out to me about it um i think he was trying to go with the same guy that did replacement girl i made the collab happen so um the original version was just him and nick uh nick's manager at the time was loosely managing drake a little bit reached out and said yo can you get the clips on it i think pusha wasn't available at the time but uh malice was so i reached out to malice and malice like who's this guy i was like yo he's like he's gonna be the canadian will smith i'm telling you man you know i hyped him up and then he's like, all right, cool. Malice was like, my son is trying to act, so maybe you can give him some pointers. <laughs> so, you know, we worked it out for the low. I remember he wired me the money, man. Royal Bank of Canada or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hit my account. And, um, yeah, I, I gave the money to them, set up the studio session, did the record, and then I gave the record to DJ Benzi, who put it on the We Got the Remix mixtape. So that was a big look for Drake. That's crazy. That's such a crazy story. Like, all connect man and drake uh obviously was on there but so diplo also got the acapella with for me from the clips and nick catch tubs and all these cool djs all got on that mixtape and then that remix mixtape i sort of executive produced without realizing it because i got the acapellas i got the drops benzy like got the mixes to pop and you know sent him the record with nick drake and man it was crazy times dude we didn't realize what we were doing but it's insane because Rolling Stones picked that mixtape as like mixtape of the year. That's yeah, I remember downloading that mixtape. Like I have that mixtape on a hard drive somewhere. Crazy, yeah, man. I just took the acapellas from the Star Trek studios. Pusha didn't care, and then Pusha I, came by one day, and I was like, "Yo, Pusha, can I get some drops real quick for this mixtape?" He's like, "Yeah, whatever." He didn't even think, you know, what this mixtape was gonna be like. Um, so I recorded it through my handycam. Like I had a little high eight tape recorder. So it was recorded through that. I'll never forget. Pusha pulled up in his SL. The, the bends that you see in the when was the last time video. Same bends. He pulled up in that. <laughs> he was literally in his car and I was just recording him do the drops. I feel like that was one of your early hustles too. Like getting instrumentals for... Because for, didn't you get the instrumentals for 
clips like initially i was i did whatever they needed so like when pharrell needed um a few of the instrumentals for the prequel tape pharrell i don't think he realizes i was the one that was downloading those for him and i was sending them back to the label because back then you couldn't just download instrumentals like you had to know how to get them off the you know limewire and stuff i think i used kazar limewire to get those and so like i got all the instrumentals for uh, we got it for cheap volume one volume two got all the instrumentals for the prequel tape so you were doing the covers getting the instrumentals like pretty much any, anything that was like yeah that's crazy i mean in the early days of you know in the early days of music videos you know hip-hop was largely shut out from mtv in fact you know if you were a black artist uh not named prince or michael jackson you were hard-pressed to have your stuff on mtv oh yeah that's the 80s man so i mean now hip-hop is the i mean really is really the epicenter is of the, the dominant music. genre. It's yeah. pop music. And it's the epicenter of the music video too, I think. I think it's, it's I remember, dude, even not that many years ago, all my work was music videos. So like I'm not gonna main, mention any names, but like certain certain corporations I would look at my reel and like for lack of a better word, they would say, Do you have something more corporate? I'm like, what do you mean corporate? Yeah. You know, and now hip hop is the dominant genre. Every major brand wants to get down with it. Now it's easy for me to pitch them commercial because that's what they want you know well that kind of dovetails nicely into the into the question here is like you know when you think about how you broke into the industry like what are the big changes between then and now oh man like you know now they trust a younger less ex- less experienced director to get in back in the days i had to fight man i had to fight the budgets were good back in the days like not like when i personally got the budgets but like for everybody else if you're a big director like a low budget video is considered three hundred thousand dollars that was like your low budget video like if you had a three hundred thousand dollar budget you were shooting on 16 millimeter you know what i'm saying yeah that was your low budget video so like a million dollar budget was the norm so um but that was good for me when i did bts i would get like five I, i think first bts that i did for a major label was for family and they gave me like almost eight thousand dollars to do that bts which is you know like crazy yeah. now you think about it oh yeah now they're trying to get you to do it on spec like you know what i mean like it's yeah like it, oh that'd be a good look for you what do labels think about that like from like uh, the video as an investment standpoint are they looking at it as like a throwaway we can get someone to do it for cheap like labels have a and r's that dictate how the album's going to sound, what singles are coming out. The marketing team is working on finding TikTok agencies to like make it explode on TikTok because blogs don't do much anymore. And then you've got the video team that works with the product managers and the marketing team to figure out how it's all going to tie in with the visuals. So it's literally three components, you know, you got the music, you got the marketing, and then you got the video. The video is so important, dude. Like it's crazy. You know, and they just have a separate budget for every video, you know, like video budgets, considering that certain costs are cheaper, not everybody's shooting on film, you know, you can do a lot with a hundred thousand, but, um, you know, like a hundred thousand is starting to be the norm again. Are there any styles or, or treatments that you see in videos and you kind of think like that you help popularize it or, you know, you think that's like my work? The trippy stuff, man. Like that's such a normal thing. Like when we did it, you know, my first data moshed video 
was not Lamborghini High. It was actually for an artist named Key Theory. Did their video and um, did a lot of data moshing experiment with that. But like us like doing all the color shifting on Lamborghini High, changing the color of the clouds. And like, that's like the norm now, man. I think not to take too much credit, but the Lamborghini High video made it okay for labels to be like, all right, cool. Let's do some trippy stuff, you know? Did your experience using like green screen back in the day at Superstar Studios in Virginia like help you with uh, your VFX work? You know what's funny? When I worked at Superstar Studios, that was a joint my mom was the manager of a store at the beach. When I did it, it was just a fun little stupid job that I treated like it was a karaoke thing. But I was always like taking it seriously at the same time, like with the angles and stuff, trying to zoom in and like do this and that, even though the people who are like spending their money to make those dumb videos, like they were having fun. I was kind of taking it seriously. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't know how it had an impact on me, but let's just say I was always around cameras and filming people perform, whether it was them drunk or not, you know, like it's a different story, but I used to see a bunch of drunk folks pulling up to the beach. Uh, you'd have like some dude playing a guitar, singing, lip syncing John B with like a rodeo in the background from a laser disc. <laughs> so you, you go on to like, obviously introduce your brother to, you know, everybody who's making it happen in Virginia. Um, and then like, you know, years pass and like your brother kind of introduces you to ASAP. The tables kind of turned where he starts introducing me to everybody. My brother got so involved with the ASAP mob on a production end that he started linking with everybody that was somebody out of New York. And then really everybody that was something in the rap scene, my brother knew. To this day, he still does, you know, like he knows Cardo, all these producers. So like my brother's super tight because he's a funny dude on Twitter, you know? And, you know, he was super tight with ASAP Yams. RIP Yams, you know, today's Yams Day. So how did David Byrne end up on the set of ASAP Rocky's Multiply video? You know, it's funny. I just t talked about that on another interview that I did today. Oh, man, that was random. I'm a huge Talking Heads fan. And oh, at yeah. the time, I was reading his book, How Music Works. Great book. And while I was reading that book, first time I ran into him. So Rocky used to live in this dope penthouse in uh, Soho. And right near that penthouse, there was this deli that we used to go to all the time. And one day, David Burns just pulled up to that deli, and I was just shook, frozen, starstruck. And I don't get starstruck, but there's a certain artist, if I see them, I'm like, oh, my God. So I didn't say nothing. And then, like, a year later, we shot the Multiply video, and we got, like, 100 bikers with us. And David Burns is known to bike around Soho, and he just pulled up biking. <laughs> As we're, like, 100, we're, like, mobbing with 100 bikers, just going crazy if you see the video of Multiply like taking over New York City. And then David Byrne goes by and me and Rocky like yelling at him like, yo, we're huge fans. And he's like, thank you. And just bikes past us. How old were you when you first saw Stop Making Sense? Oh man, you know what? I think I saw that while I was in college or something. It just never ceases to be so amazing. Oh like, dude, incredible. It's one of those films I watched in my like really, really film buff eras. Mm-hmm. Like when I discovered guys like Jim Jaramush and all these folks, I started like just going back and watching movies like that. 
Yeah, yeah, Stop Making Sense was something I watched when I like just started going back to 80s films. Yeah. I was watching movies like that. I was watching Stranger, uh, what is that other movie? Uh, Stranger Than Fiction, was it? Yeah, that's Jim Jarmusch, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was a good one. No, it wasn't Stranger Than Fiction. I think it was, what was it called? It was Strangers in Paradise? Strange, yes, that's that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those movies. I forget. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was watching like all Jim Jarmusch films. The 80s Jim Jarmusch shit is so good. Like, it's like, I, I, I enjoyed watched a bunch of David Lynch stuff. I was just like going back and like, because like as a kid when I was watching movies, I didn't analyze movies as a film buff, you know? And then I started discovering like Wong Kar Wai, started watching like In the Mood for Love, started watching Chunking Express, which had a major, major influence on me. See, when I hear you say David Lynch, I'm like, now I, I, because I, I'm immediately starting to think about your videos now. Some of them have Lynchian qualities. Yeah, to get the ability to get weird, I think. I think that's what's yeah, really. Yeah, like, there are no yeah. rules. Because, man, I started watching, like, Twin Peaks and all this crazy shit. And it's funny, like, I would start putting Rocky into, like, I was putting Rocky into Wes Anderson and stuff. Like, a lot of people don't realize when we did Yamagini High, we took inspiration from Wes Anderson a little bit with that uh, facade that, you know, falls off at the end, mm -hmm. the backdrop, which like looked like a painting almost, like, and the colors and stuff, like that was inspired by Wes Anderson a little bit. And Buster Keaton. That's why I was, yeah, I was saying that there's definitely a huge uh, Buster Keaton vibe. It's funny because you think things are weird until you watch Twin Peaks and then double down when you watch Eraserhead. Um, and it's funny because, uh, you know, ASAP Rocky seems like a good conduit for that because... He's so open-minded, dude. Yeah, and that's really evident in the, like, really... Uh, like, he did that song LSD, like, completely is playing with, like, psychedelia. I did a video for him called Jukebox, mm -hmm. and he never showed me the LSD video uh that uh uh dexter did i had never seen it and so the original version of jukebox had similar effects we were messing with this plugin called sapphire to do all these crazy effects and then rocky's like yo we can't do those effects I'm like why not he's like i just did a video called lsd that has those effects it's like oh shit so the original version of jukebox was super trippy but we had to tame it down for lsd the LSD video, you can get contact high watching that shit. It's like friggin', it's it's so good, and 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 really, actually, that's I'm gl I'm glad we had this part of the conversation because it all kind of really uh, makes sense just from an influence point of view. What were some of the videos that like you were influenced by, like music videos, uh, more than film? Obviously, all the hype Williams stuff from the '90s. Yeah, all the Spike Jones stuff. The Spike Jones is really what got me. That was like my gateway drug. So good. I did this. Uh like dystopian sci-fi short and clips of it came out for this campaign for gentle monster and i was watching a lot of chris cunningham videos uh for bjork and apex twin that inspired me the apex twins videos chris cunningham's videos are friggin' sick i remember when i was younger watching um you, you know jonathan they, glazer yeah you know when they um i'm trying to remember which company did it but they did the um like the works of uh series where it was like yep, i used to have those palm <laughs> films released them i think palm pictures oh. Oh, sick. Yeah, the Chris Cunningham ones I used to, because I was really I had good. those. I had all those DVDs. Yeah, they're really good. I watched, it was the Chris Cunningham Red one. Series. Yeah, and the uh, Michelle Gondry one I thought was pretty fun. Yeah, sick. Mark Romanek inspired me too when I did Batsall. Oh. Yeah, like I looked at the Closer video. That's why you see like all those weird taxidermy and all that stuff in that Batsall video. 
that's fucking awesome i feel like this is like an easter egg conversation now because now i'm like thinking about your uh that's really i told yams like yams came to me um about that video like a week prior to shooting it we shot that video so last minute and yams was like yo what do you want to do like we want to make a gothic i was like i got the perfect reference let's look at this uh oh we looked at the perfect drug video and we looked at uh the bat song uh and we looked at um closer video so yeah. like it had this goth element to those videos so like that's that's how that goth aesthetic came about i feel like that perfect drug video like gets lost in some of the nine inch nails video mix just because i think because it was on the lost highway soundtrack and everything because that was a uh, lost highway right like the soundtrack oh my god i love yeah. that soundtrack i love that record that smashing pumpkins had on there too oh i i <laughs> love that we can have these conversations i talked to a lot of how old are you if you don't mind me asking i am 36 years old so we're from the same era i'm about to yeah. be 30 that's why we know this stuff oh yeah yeah no, no i was like because like up here in canada we have much music and um, i love much music shout out to much music they helped me fund two videos they helped me fund kate Renata's video they helped us fund the uh belly and weekend video oh my god fucking oh kate crazy Tr i didn't know that kate Renata. which video for kate Renata did you do i did uh you're the one i fucking love kate Renata. he's just oh jesus um yeah man like i i like for us and I know I'm sure I speak for Coburn with this too. Like much music was our shit growing up. And it's like, honestly, dude, like I used to like pull, much music had better interviews too. I just watched a much music interview with the lead singer from um, uh, the new radicals. And dude, the interviewers were so good on much music, much better than the MGV interview. Like Matt Pinfield knew his shit, but the other guys weren't going in depth, like talking about philosophy, like, like they did at much music i think they had better interviews well i think much music clung to the like journalistic aspect of it longer whereas like you know mtv it got more and more commercialized then mtv2 broke off and you know that's kind of where you were getting that fix uh before you know what i mean and you know i rap city with mtv you know with much music was a huge influence you know i know i'm me and coburn because like we're putting together you know a show that's kind of looking at the toronto hip-hop scene and and um like that is you know the you know, the, the inspiration for it, you know, you know, as we kind of like, you know, move towards, you know, the end here, like, let's talk about the future and like, who is like, what directors in the game now are really catching your eye? Like who, who do you think, you know, is representing the future? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few, man. Um, let me see. There's this kid, uh, Petite Valentine. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. he says Valentine. Thing. Petite Valentine is super dope. Um, love this kid's work. He's inspiring. Um, who else am I looking at? I'm trying to think. For new guys, I like him a lot. I like... Um, it's so hard because I don't really look to music video directors like that anymore because I look at the old school ones that still... I look at more like filmmakers. Well, which, fil which filmmakers are... Inspired. Ari Aster. Oh, yeah. You know, man, he's so good. Obviously, Jordan Peele. He's so talented. And I like I was saying, like, we, we talked on our on the on what our movie podcast a while ago, just about like get out and uh, Jordan Peele's ability. He just he's so lean in his writing. He's redone. It's so good. This whole genre of horror. It's yeah. Another level now. Like. He's reinvented the horror genre for the better. 
yeah and he's acting like a point guard too he's bringing people on like misha green like just with lovecraft and just how wonderful that was incredible dude i would say yeah man and hero Murai still love that dude's work he's my favorite right now just because like atlanta i'm in love with i it. love atlanta like you know i always wanted to do a show like atlanta but i was going to be in virginia and i still might when i saw hero do it that really put the battery in my back like to really do something like that so my road trip comedy is kind of like that but it's a movie obviously yes yeah. like it's kind of like atlanta but mixed with like harold and kumar imagine if Harold and Kumar went to go make a music video and everything went wrong. That's what my first movie script is. And it's funny because Atlanta really influenced by like Twin Peaks and David Lynch stuff as well. Right. Yeah, so like, it's so yeah. like weird. It is. And there's moments on that show that are so laugh out loud, funny. And then other words that, you know, are painful. And then other ones that are just like unnerving. And it's, it's, Hiro Murai has a very Lynchian aspect to his work too. Though. Yeah. Like if you look at his music videos, the one they did for Chet Faker. And, you know, to kind of, to finish up here, I, uh, we want to know when, when can we expect this feature film? Like now I'm super, you know, what's probably going to happen. I'm writing a like a hip hop horror movie right now, uh, but it's funny. The hip hop horror movie is like Spike Lee meets uh, John Carpenter. <laughs> I say Spike Lee more for the fact that it's not really Spike Lee. It's Spike Lee executive produced this one horror film. Do you guys remember? It was called Tales from the Hood. Yo, so Spike Lee executive produced a movie called, or I think he produced it called, um, yeah, I think it was executive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Production company was 40 Acres and a Mule. Yeah, they... Uh, uh, director uh, Rusty Rusty Kundia, he directed that, I believe. And um, yeah, yeah, he 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 did this movie, uh, Tell Us from the Hood. And I'm like, yo, there's how come there's not enough like hip hop horror movies, you know? Um, so I threw the idea of doing a hip hop horror movie when Rocky was first starting out when we did Bat Salt. When I directed Bat Salt, my homie Skip Williamson hit me up he uh executive produced all the um underworld he did all his underworld movies oh cool and then he produced crank i don't remember crank oh i remember yeah, crank you, yeah you, yeah you get crank yeah it's a non-stop thrill ride yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like he hit me up first and he's like yo you should do like a hip-hop horror movie with rocky and that was in 2012 but then we never did it and now i got the film bug and i'm like writing so I just finished the outline for the horror movie. The horror movie looks more likely that it's going to get made first because everybody's hitting me up and wants to invest in it. You know, like we're probably going to get that made independently first. So like I'm saving up money to put up some money for it. Like it's going to get made. If I got to sell my cars and a kidney, I'm going to get this movie made. Yeah. Is there, is there anything else that's coming out soon that you want to plug in, in here? Yeah, man um you know it's funny uh like i said i think the tj little tj movie i directed it's a short 30 minutes it's kind of like a pilot to a tv show almost is that gonna be available where's that gonna be available youtube or you know we don't know yet we might get distribution for it might oh, sick. release whoever's the highest bidder i guess that's what's gonna it's gonna come out through so yeah. it could be amazon it could be youtube whoever's the highest bidder you know we'll get that we're still in post-production we're fixing up some stuff yeah everything's like in a holding pattern like it's just ridiculous i i'm i still got to do a pickup day for my sci-fi film that i did is a short um so i got that and um yeah man like this two short films i got a music video coming out with kenna 
Uh, not sure when that's going to come out, but I'm doing like three more videos with Kenna. Well, we'll make sure we uh, get all this blasted. So, uh, you know, listeners, uh, take a look for it. Uh, it's going to be good. Again, show me. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Later, y'all. Thank you.